This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. How many of you like surprises? How many of you don't like surprises? I sure don't like surprises. I find them to be very threatening. I find them disconcerting. I find them to be a little bit unsettling. Heard about this man who actually said that his wife has not talked to him since Christmas. They said, why? He said, well, I asked her what would she like for Christmas. And she said, oh, well, just surprise me. So he said, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, I leaned over there Christmas night. I leaned over and I said, boo! (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) Back in the days when uh, fathers used to wait in a waiting room, or when the babies are being born, now you go with them. And back in those days, there were in a hospital in Minnesota, there were three fathers in the waiting room waiting. And the nurse came out and said to the first one and said, uh, great news. You have twins. And he said, that's ironic. I pitch for the Minnesota twins. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, the nurse comes in and she looks at the second man and she said, you have great news. You have triplets. He said, that's unbelievable. I work for the 3M company. <laughs> Upon which the third man began to sweat and about to faint. His face turned as white as sheet, and there came around him and said, what's wrong? Can we help you? He said, I work for the 7-Eleven, and I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is, when you walk closely with God, when you develop intimacy with God, when you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to discover that far from being surprised and seeing surprise as a, a threatening or disconcerting or unsettling, you're going to rejoice in the surprises of the grace of God. Far from seeing surprises as something you want to avoid at any price, you will learn to revel in the surprises of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at Christian history, you're going to find there are so many surprises of the grace of God. I mean truly surprises. But that's how God works. A playboy who was a college professor by the name of Aurelius, confronted by the grace of God, becomes the great St. Augustine. A slave trader who knew nothing but degradation, who knew nothing but debauchery, A man by the name of John become the great preacher and the author of Amazing Grace, John Newton. A drunken barber by the name of Mel. This man was so devoid of anything that is decent because of his addiction to alcohol that when his little girl died, he stole the shoes in which she was to be buried in order that he might pawn them to get some money for a drink. To become Mel Trotter, the founder of one of the largest chains of rescue missions that extend from Boston to San Francisco. That is the grace of God. 
But perhaps there is no greater surprise, and there is no greater surprising story of the grace of God than the story of Saul of Tarsus. There's no greater transformation than that of Saul of Tarsus. No transformation that had greater impact upon the world history than Saul of Tarsus. I want to share with you briefly four surprises that God's grace reveals to us in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Surprising man, verses 1 to 3. Secondly, surprising method, verses 1 to 9. Thirdly, surprising mentor, verses 10 to 25. And finally, surprising mates, verses 26 to 31. Surprising man. You see, Saul of Tarsus was a Jew. So were Jesus and his apostles. Saul of Tarsus was trained in the Pharisaic school. So was Jesus and his apostles. But this is where all commonalities end. This is the end of what they have in common. Saul of Tarsus was a Roman citizen. Saul of Tarsus was educated in Greek. Saul of Tarsus was not born in Israel like the rest of them, but he was born in the city of Tarsus, which is where the modern-day Turkey and Syria meet. But far more important than any of this is that Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. No, he was a persecutor of Jesus himself. Like many others who have come after him, Saul of Tarsus thought that he could stamp out Christianity. But he not only failed, everybody who followed him who had this idiotic thought failed. In fact, Luke uses a word here that's really very significant. He uses a word to describe Saul and what Saul is doing to the church. In fact, that word is so unique. It is used to describe how a wild boar devastates a vine. That's how he uses that magnificent word. Luke said that Saul wanted to devastate the church. Saul wanted to destroy the church. Saul wanted to ravage the church of Jesus Christ. So he got permission from the high priest and from Jerusalem to go to Damascus to stamp out Christians in that city. Now, Damascus is about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. I mean, this is probably the furthest that a church is meeting. Imagine the incredible zeal. This is a long journey. This is not only a long journey, it's on that desert road. It's a dangerous trip, but it shows you the incredible commitment that Saul of Tarsus had in his desire to destroy the believers. You know, had anyone suggested to Saul of Tarsus just before he left Jerusalem, had anyone suggested to him, he said, Saul, by the time you get to Damascus, you're going to become a Christian. He would have lobbed their head off. Don't forget, Paul was a vicious man. Don't think, oh, we talk about St. Paul, and we forget that he was Saul of Tarsus, one and the same. Me, a Christian? You're crazy. How can I be a Christian? I am out to get those rascals. I'm going to arrest them. I'm going to kill as many as I can. And that is why he was not only a surprising man, he was a surprised man. Not only that he was converted to Christ so thoroughly, but he became the greatest preacher in the New Testament. 
a surprising man. But second, there is a surprising method. Look at verses 4 all the way to 9. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know there are some of us, God has to use the two-by-four to get our attention. You see, God knew that Saul of Tarsus was not the kind of man who would respond to the gentle voice. God knew that. God knew that Saul of Tarsus is such a stubborn man that only a surprising method of confrontation is going to get his attention. And only after he falls off his high horses <laughs> that Jesus speaks to him. Have you been there? You see, there are many times when we are so full of our own importance, even God is having a hard time getting your attention. There are times when we are so full of our pride and arrogance that even God has a hard time reaching us. There are times when we are so adamant about our point of view that even God has to knock us down off our high horses in order to get our attention for our own good. And Jesus said to Saul, he said, um, why are you persecuting me? Now, beloved friend, I want to tell you something. Don't forget this. If you are persecuted, if you are harassed simply because of your righteousness, simply because of your desire to walk with God, simply because your desire to live a godly life, let me tell you, those who are harassing you, those who are persecuting you, they are not harassing you and persecuting you. They are persecuting Jesus Christ. In fact, when Saul was confronted by the risen Christ, all he could say was, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now, please hear me right on this one. This is important because I believe with all my heart. You've heard me say this. I know it. I know it because I've experienced it, that the reason why many Christians live a defeated and mediocre life is because they never ask, Who are you, Lord? The reason why so many Christians take worship for granted is because they never ask, Who are you, Lord? The reason why so many Christians take their Christianity so lightly is because they never stop to ask, Who are you, Lord? If you understand, if you can comprehend, and you can only do that with the Spirit of God, if you and I could comprehend the awesomeness of our privilege of being called the children of the King, we would never miss worship. We would never take worship for granted. We would never take worship lightly. Certainly, we would not come to worship habitually late. We would never take prayer meetings for granted and come only when we need something from God. If you have never comprehended, if you have never been able to comprehend the awesomeness of the one who called us, if you ever get to that point of no who God is, and the privilege of calling you to a relationship with Him, you would never walk in your own strength. If you ever understand, if you could ever comprehend who God is and who called you to have a relationship with Him, you would not go around doing your thing and ignoring His Word. In fact, later on in the book of Acts 26, 14, Paul said, God told him, he said, Jesus, when he appeared to him, he said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. How many of you know what a goad is? A goad is a sharp object. 
and it is used in order to break in a new bull. It's not designed for human beings. It's designed for bull-headed bulls. What is Jesus saying? He's saying refusing to surrender to the voice of God is like being prodded and pricked with a sharp object. Jesus is not doing that. You're doing that by refusing to listen to His voice. What were these goads that Saul of Tarsus was kicking against? One was doubt. See, Paul obviously knew deep down that Jesus was the Messiah. But he wouldn't admit it. He kept blocking that voice. He kept blocking that voice. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. He tried to silence that voice. The second goad was Stephen. In fact, you see that coming out in Paul's writings later on. When Saul heard Stephen testifying to the resurrected Jesus Christ, deep down Saul knew that what Stephen is saying is the truth, but he refused to believe it, and he chose to be stubborn, and he chose to silence that voice, and nonetheless he actually guarded the clothes of those who stoned Stephen to death. Beloved friend, let me tell you something something I hope you'll never forget, something I hope that will last beyond this day and beyond this week and beyond this month and beyond this year. When you are fighting against the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you are a hurting baby. You might be 200 pounds, but you're a baby. When you are fighting against God's conviction of sin in your life, Deep down, you are a hurting man. You are a hurting woman. Give it up. Give it up today. The grace of God brought us a surprising man. The grace of God introduced us to a surprising method. Thirdly, the grace of God produces a surprising mentor. The Lord tells Saul to get to the house of Judas in Damascus. And then God goes to one of the leaders of the church of Damascus by the name of Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go and meet Saul of Tarsus. I honestly try to put myself in Ananias' place. (laughs) And probably I would have been more scared than he was. I mean, Ananias did not want to question the Lord, but the poor man, he said, Lord, do you know what you're talking about? I mean, Lord, with all due respect, you want me to do what? Lord, are we talking about the same Saul here? The Saul of Tarsus? Do you know what this man has done, Lord? Do you know what this man is coming here to do? Do, Lord, if you want me to die, will you please kill me because you'll be more merciful? This man's reputation is already spread into Damascus, and he's on his way, and he was not going there for a tour. He was not there as a tourist. He's not going there for sightseeing. He was not there on vacation. He was coming to drag and into prison and to kill the Christians. And this poor guy was scared to death. I can imagine his knees were shaking. I said, Lord, I will do whatever you want, but no, not this one. In fact, some time ago I heard a story about Louis Armstrong when he was a little boy in the town there, there was a, an aunt who actually was a very powerful lady. His aunt, uh, Jenny May, by name. He said, uh, one day 
Aunt Jenny May asked me to take the bucket and go to the pond and get some water. And uh, so he went to, and came back and didn't have any water. And Aunt Jenny May was not very happy about this. And she said, now, Louie, didn't I tell you to go to the pond and get the bucket full of water? He said, Aunt Jenny May, I did. But I got to that pond and I saw this big alligator right there. And I came back running. I mean, those eyes, those big eyes were looking at me, scared me half to death. I dropped the bucket. I just ran home. She said, Louie, don't you understand that this gator is as scared of you as you are scared of him? Louis said, now, Aunt Jenny May, if that alligator is as scared of me as I'm scared of him, you don't want that water. <laughs> That's Ananias. The poor guy, I mean, his reaction, the words actually in the original is very strong words. I mean, he was absolutely scared stiff. And God says, no, Ananias. No, you don't understand. Oh, you just don't understand, Ananias. You don't understand. You got Saul all wrong. <laughs> Ananias, listen, you are talking about Saul three days ago. <laughs> I'm talking about Saul of today. It's amazing what God can do in three days. It's amazing what God can do in three seconds. That's the problem is we fail to believe that. Someone said Ananias is the forgotten hero of the Christian church, and I agree with that. He was called to mentor a notorious murderer. I want to ask you something. Has God ever called you to do something that seemed to be so insurmountable. Has God ever asked you to do something that seemed to be impossible? I want you to remember this. When He does ask you, it is because He has already gone ahead of you and He prepared the way. It is because He's already gone out ahead of you and took care of all the kinks. He took care of all the bugs in the system. And in this case, God had already taken care of Saul of Tarsus. He's already knocked him down off his high horses, and he already converted his heart. Listen to what I'm going to tell you, please. Whatever your Saul of Tarsus for you that is frightening you, whatever your Saul of Tarsus for you that is causing you worry. Whatever your soul of Tarsus is that is causing you anxiety, I want you to know this, that he or she or it has already been tamed by the great tamer of the universe. The truth of the matter is, Saul actually has not been able to shut up talking about Jesus. (laughs) Look at verse 21, 22. You can see it. He says, immediately... He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, proclaiming that He is the Son of God. What a transformation. What a transformation. What a surprising act of grace. The persecutor has now become persecuted. So much so that he had to be lowered from a little hall. Christians already knew where the halls are in the walls of Damascus. So the little opening... And they push him through and lower him down to get outside of the city and get out of Damascus alive. Then we are told that he went to Arabia. Why? Because the exits in all of the 
city of Damascus were sealed. All the exits in the city of Jerusalem were sealed. People looking out for him, they want to kill him. And so he had to go to this Nabataean kingdom in what's modern-day Jordan. The one who was going after the fugitives has become a fugitive himself. Look at verse 23. Luke said, after many days, we know those many days were actually three years. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Uh, Many days. Three years. Three years he was in Arabia. How do we know that? Paul said so in Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. In fact, if you read on from Galatians, the last part of chapter 1 and the beginning of verse 2 tells you the whole story. And this was not the modern day Saudi Arabia as we know it. When the Bible says goes to Arabia, at that time it was in the modern day city of Petra in Jordan. Now, this is a very ancient city that's there in the BC time. And it was the center of civilization at that time. This is the Nebatean kingdom. And they had some real, real civilization. I mean, it's a cosmopolitan. There were Greeks, there were Romans, there were Egyptians. They were coming from all over the world. So it wasn't just out in the desert. He had to go to this civilization known as the Nebatean civilization, or as in, called it Arabia back then, where the Apostle Paul spent those three years. Why is Paul? Why did he go there? Why did God lead him? Why did the Holy Spirit take him after this incredible conversion, after this incredible encounter with the living, resurrected Christ? Takes him to place for three years. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you in a minute, it's more than three years to meditate, to pray, to hide. Because, you see, we only not have a surprising man. We have a surprising method, and we have a surprising mentor But fourthly, there is a surprising mates. To say that Paul's fellowship with the apostles is a surprise is an understatement. It really is. Verse 26 of Acts 9. Saul came to Jerusalem. He tried to associate with the disciples. They were scared of him. I mean, his reputation did not go down or forgotten in those three years. But thank God for the Barnabases of this world. Bless God for the Barnabases of this world who understand the grace of God. The Barnabases who value the trophies of grace. The Barnabases who understand that God saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. The Barnabases who understand that God specializes in saving sinners. The Barnabases who understand that God delights in a repentant sinner. Barnabas takes Paul by the hand, vouches for him, and he becomes accepted to the apostles. And we know again from later on that he spent two weeks with Peter. But let me tell you this as I conclude. After three years in Arabia, Saul went to his hometown of Tarsus for approximately seven years. Again, Galatians, the last of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, fills in the detail. So you say this is about roughly ten years. Ten years? Ten years? That's a long time. Some of you waiting for the Lord to answer your prayer, year, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And some of you have given up praying. Ten years. Since the time Paul encountered the risen Christ, and Barnabas takes him by the hand and says to the apostles, This is God's man. 
Ten years. A forgotten man for ten years becomes the most influential man in the entire New Testament period. What God was doing, He was training him. He was training him. God was preparing him. Listen, when you're waiting for God to answer your prayers, the devil wants you to give up. God is not going to answer your prayer. You know how often Jesus would look at somebody and say, you're faithful? What is he talking about? He's talking about that absolute persistence that are not going to give up. Do you think Paul wondered about that encounter with the risen Christ during those 10 years? Do you think at some point he said, Lord, what's going on here? Do you think he questioned what happened? From what all of his writings, we know he did. I want to tell you this. God's way and not our ways. And God's timing is not our timing. You may have prayed for somebody to be saved, or a husband, wife, son, daughter, relative, friend, and the person has not been saved yet. The worst thing you could do is you give up praying for that person because you do not know what God is doing behind the scenes. He's orchestrating events. He's orchestrating circumstances. He's orchestrating people. I'll show you a couple of examples of how we as a congregation have prayed. We have prayed for six years for a land in which we can build a sanctuary. Some said, well, God might not want us to have a building. Others have said, well, why don't we just go out and spread ourselves among the churches? Two occasions came in which we almost settled for things that are far inferior than what God has provided. He gave us a superior because you prayed. We prayed for a traffic light for two years. Why? Because it was dangerous during that. So somebody almost lost their life. We had several accidents. So we prayed and we cried to God. And the government said, it's impossible. You can't do it. Some suggested we sell the property and get out of here. And some gave all kinds of wonderful ideas. Others were tempted to settle for less and inferior things. But God gave us a superior. Don't ever doubt God. Be patient when you pray. Don't ever give up being surprised by the grace of God. Shall we pray? Our precious Heavenly Father, we ask you first of all to forgive us for our impatience and for not being willing to learn to wait patiently that we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as your servant Paul did. Remind us afresh that you are calling us for a lifelong ministry and a lifelong service of witness. Thank you that you do hear us when we pray. And we thank you that your delay does not mean denial. Let this moment be a transforming moment for each of us. And just as you confronted Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, confront each one of us this very day. That those among us who have constantly kept your voice and tried to silence him will do so no more because you're a mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. 